5. I know you guys have been doing a series on life together in the New Testament, which um, our church is going to benefit from some this morning with Tab there. And we have been working through a series called The Old, Old Story. We've just been going through some of the old stories in the book of Exodus, this story of God bringing his people out of slavery, heading them toward the promised land and all that happened in between. I want to share with you this morning from Exodus 5, and so it's kind of in the middle of the story, in the middle of the early part of the story before um, things really start to unfold and we see some significant miracles, but I think it speaks to um, a situation that many of us find ourselves in in regular life, and so I'm praying that this will bless you this morning. And thank you uh, on behalf of evangelical Christians everywhere for being a church that prays for our nation and has an appropriate posture in response to current events. And it's so so important that we are um, on mission in this world that people will see the gospel, the reality of the grace of Christ and then what that does to a group of people. Because there should be, in my opinion, no other reason that you all are together. Because we're very different people from different backgrounds, different experience, maybe even different politics. But that we can come together because of Jesus Christ. That is a testament to those around us. And that should be our message. So thank you for that. I've been encouraged by that this morning. But it has been in these last few months and certainly weeks far too easy to essentially just turn off the news and determine instead to catch up on all your binge watching on Netflix, right? It's like I'd rather be entertained and numbed by something on the screen or maybe in books or other things just to get away from all of the news of the day. You turn, hopefully have turned off Twitter by now and you're just focusing on the people around you in entertainment. And I've been thinking as I've been doing that myself, like trying to get more into more fiction reading. So I read less news, which seems like fiction these days. But I've noticed uh, what we desire in our entertainment is very different from what we desire in real life. And so you can think of it in the terms of the tense situations. Because when we prefer to see happening in stories, is we love to watch and hear those stories where situations go from bad to worse before there's any sense of resolution in it, right? You know, when I'm talking about the predicament gets stickier and that situation captivates us, draws us into the story because we want to see how is this going to be resolved? What is going to happen? And the eventual victory seems all the more sweet when it's been a difficult situation. The tension builds, the drama increases, and we just sit there munching on popcorn in anticipation of what's going to come next, how the situation is going to be handled or solved. And when the star gets out of a pinch and essentially into a pickle is when we are latched onto the story and want to see how it goes. But you bring that level of drama and that desire for increased tension um, into our own lives and we can't take it. We don't want to participate in that. I don't want my story to go from bad to worse. I want it to get resolved like right away. I want to go from bad to really good. I want that to be my experience. And there's good reason for that, right? Because struggle, difficulty, going from bad to worse, going from a pinch to a pickle is not fun in life. We can't often in the midst of it see the value of difficulty as we experience that stuff. 
The truth is that we as humans, just as it's broken humanity, sinful and in need of a Savior, we live with very real struggle. And then you inject faith into that equation and our perspective can get all the more cloudy when it comes to suffering and struggling. And we hear of promise, yet we're waiting on it. It doesn't seem to have arrived yet. We're embracing what we understand to be this immense gift of resolution. And then we have the sense that things just aren't getting easier as we had hoped they would. This is exactly the situation that we have going on in Ephesians 5, in Egypt, in our text today. It's a reality that not only wears on the thinking of the people of God, the people that He has declared He will save, but it's something that they can actually feel in the sweat of their brow and the difficulty that they're experiencing. As we read from Exodus 5 and think through what the Lord might have for us today, the big idea of the whole thing is that the struggle is real and God is still good. So hopefully if you walk away with nothing else this morning, you'll remember that, you'll sound really hip because you're like, yeah, bro, the struggle's real. But it is because we've lived through it, we've seen it, we've tasted of it, and we can still know that God is good. So here from the word of the Lord, from Exodus 5, verses 1 through 23, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and we'll pray and get into it this morning. So afterward, and and think about that afterward, because we're going to talk about what just happened before. But afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Essentially, who is Yahweh? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks! And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. 
But he said, you are idle. You are idle. Some translations say, you are lazy. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you. You must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, "You shall by when he had said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story and the reality of Israel and their exodus and redemption from slavery in Egypt that we today can look back and savor the truth of it, the work of your mighty hand that you had promised to work. We ask this morning that by your spirit you would help us see the reality and truth in this story that you would use to transform our hearts all the more into people who trust in you, Lord. We would live in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, and even in the midst of success, relying fully on you and knowing that you are at work and that your promise remains and that you are still good. Spirit, I ask that you'd help me to speak with clarity and passion the truth that you have put in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Exodus, but this is the story of God bringing his people that he has covenanted with, the the people of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt into a land that he had promised to give them. They'd been suffering and struggling in Egypt for some 400 years. They'd become slaves there. They had gone from being a people of influence when Joseph had arrived and been the prime minister of Egypt to the day that we arrive in Exodus 5 when they are slaves under burden, under Pharaoh. They're captive. And in their burden, what comes before in the first few chapters of Exodus is the people cry out to the Lord for help and God hears them. He responds to their cries. And this covenant-making and covenant-remembering God has come to save his people. He announces that he's remembered his promise to Abraham and to Jacob. And here he comes to redeem his people. For his glory, he calls this prophet out of the people. He calls Moses imperfect and absolutely unprepared as he is. And he calls him to deliver the people out of slavery and into the land that he has promised them. And it, the announcement of this deliverance, this is what has come just before our text this morning. There is this immense celebration, like Moses and his brother Aaron go and they tell the people that the Lord has spoken and said, I am going to free you. I am going to bring you into the promised land. And so they do what is right and they worship God and celebrate that this freedom has come. 
This generations of slavery, the oppression and hardship were all coming to an end as promised by God. And this is the story of their exodus unfolding, their exit from Egypt and the hardship. And they're probably celebrating, they're like, go ahead and pack your bags, we're getting out of here. No more labor for us, no more slavery for us, freedom in a land that is ours, given to us by God. You get to Exodus 5 and the presentation to Pharaoh, it's like, well, not so fast. Don't pack your bags just yet. You actually have to work a little bit harder. And this morning, as we think through this burden of mud and straw, kind of the path we're going to take is that we want to evaluate the difficulty, what exactly is going on there. And then in response to that difficulty, we're going to see a couple of options of response, one being danger and another being devotion. Hopefully we'll pick the better of the two. And then finally set ourselves up for determination. That given the mighty hand of God and his promise to us in Christ, that we would follow the way of devotion and be determined to trust the Lord even in the midst of difficulty. So the struggle is real and God is still good. And all of us this morning are in some situation that that is true. Either we're in the midst of struggle and we're trusting that God is still good or we've come out of a season of difficulty and we know that God is good and how he's brought us through that or we're thinking we're about to enter into a season and we're clinging to that promise of God. So this is for all of us this morning. And they face this difficulty as God's people. The mission from God to Moses and Aaron has been accepted in the wilderness. And now they've come back to Egypt to inform the elders and all of the people of God's undertaking of their redemption. Because God says, I am going to do it. It's not like you now have to work your way out of Egypt. But God says, I'm going to bring you out of slavery And they respond in that appropriate way, as we talked about, with worship. And then Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh to communicate the word of God and to bring the people out. It's an easy task, right? You go before Pharaoh, say, God said we're to go, now let us go. He lets you go, end of story. And we're on our way to Christ coming back and working further redemption, right? It'd be easy. That's how I'd write the story, probably. But God has something else in mind. He says, let my people go. But instead of acknowledgement and submission to that command of the creator of the universe, in Pharaoh, there's this denial and more demand on the people of God. So Pharaoh here, in the story in Exodus 5, he has only what can be described as a rebellious unbelief. He says, I don't know this Yahweh that you speak of, and moreover, I'm not going to let my slaves go. I'm not going to let these people go and be free. Who will finish my cities is his essential words. His professed ignorance of God's identity, this is interesting, right? He says, I don't know who God is, but I'm still not going to do what he says. So he goes against his authority, and he resists this God that he does not know. Even when there's a warning of danger, it's the work that Pharaoh is worried about. It's the burden on the people that he needs to see accomplished. He says, get back to your burdens. You've ever been owned by a slave master or our cosmic enemy, Satan. The first thing he loves to tell you is to get back to your burdens. 
This is where you belong. Stay here. Get back to your burdens. There will be no redemption. And this is the voice that we are hearing from Pharaoh to Moses and Aaron. Where there is supposed to be a recognition and a humbling before Yahweh, there's this resistance and the absolute opposite to the command is done and there's rejection and punishment of the people even for asking. Even for going and being a messenger of God, there is punishment and a harsh treatment of the people. And the innocent ones in Israel are the ones that suffer the most. The children of promise, the covenantal people of God are given heavier work. There's increased pressure on Israel. And there's very real struggle in this story. I don't know if you've ever made bricks. Anybody ever been a brick maker? Our our society has... Uh, transformed enough along the way we don't do a lot of brick making ourselves anymore but it's impossible to do without straw if all you have is mud and there's nothing to keep that mud together and to strengthen it so it's very real difficult work but the quota you have no straw you are still in need of the same number of bricks the quota stays the same The materials you're given or the lack of them is what make this an impossible situation for Israel. They can't meet Pharaoh's requirements. And sometimes we can just read this story and we just glance over it, right? Oh, that sounds really hard. But that story is there because there is actually then, without straw, no way the people of Israel can meet what is required of them. There is nothing they can do in and of themselves in their own strength to get all the materials that are required to make bricks, to make their captor happy. It's like a whiplash for the people. They go from worship, this celebration at the announcement of redemption to this crushing burden. They end up searching for stubble just to form the bricks. And the foremen of the people are beaten just for not finishing the work. There is a sense that freedom is expected because it's promised by God. And then the crack of the whip is experienced instead. The promise, though, friends, still remains. We don't see anywhere in Exodus 5 that God has removed his covenantal promise to the people, but the promise still hovers over them as his people. The goodness of God will still be realized in the story. And the truth is, as we look at this, as we think of what it was like to be a Hebrew in Egypt, in slavery, and experiencing these things, this is life. This is our experience. We maybe have heard the promise. We've prepared for it and wham! Something happens. The diagnosis is bad. The relationship is broken. There is very real pain. The progression that we thought that we would make or the progress doesn't happen fast enough. The coming out of something actually feels more like a coming through something. We've each had that mud and straw moment of our own and we can think of it if we just have a moment to think of it. And friends, if you've yet to come to that experience of there's been impossibility in your life and you don't know how to resolve it and it's struggle, I promise you will experience it. Will come. It's a reality of life in a broken world. This exodus meant to glorify God and instead there's pain 
This life that we have meant to glorify God and instead there's struggle, this promised salvation, this release from captivity, the freedom from bondage and deliverance from oppression and then we embrace this promise and it seems as if the bars just get thicker. The chains get heavier and the burden is unbearable. Some of us are in that spot this morning. We've feeling the crack of the whip on our back, the sting, the sting of promise delayed in our lives. The great news in this story and in our lives as Christians is that we are not left to ourselves. We are not left with this impossible task all alone. There is actually help. There is actually hope. But it's how we face it that matters. So we can evaluate how does Israel, the covenant people, respond to the difficulty in Exodus 5. There are two responses, two reactions we see in chapter 5 to this difficulty. And maybe you caught both of them. If not, we're going to talk about them. But they tell of danger is the first one and devotion is the second. Now in this story, clearly Pharaoh is the bad guy, right? Like, We shouldn't have trouble seeing that this dictator, tyrant king that is enslaving a people is the bad guy. Israel has not been disobedient at this point. They have not done anything. They do not, in broad strokes, deserve the punishment that Pharaoh is giving them, this impossible burden he's placed on their lives. But it seems that they, as the people, place the blame higher than who is actually responsible for the pain. Something for us to notice. They are beaten and it is where the foremen of the people go that actually leads to danger. Did you notice they came and they cried to Pharaoh? They'd heard of God's redemption coming. They'd even worshipped him for his promise of a new land and redemption. But they do not cry out to Yahweh. They do not gather the people and pray and worship again and ask God to move. No, they go instead to the source of their pain, hoping for a different outcome. They run back to what keeps them captive, to Pharaoh. Essentially go before him and say, why are you treating us like this? Pharaoh tells them why, because their request has been made to release the people to go and worship. And then the foremen of the people actually turn on Moses and Aaron. And the Hebrew here essentially says that they assaulted them. They waited for them as they came out from petitioning Pharaoh, cursing what is promised. They essentially say to Moses, it is all your fault. Because of you, Egypt hates us. They don't in this moment blame the one who is actually responsible for their pain, but instead they blame the messenger of the promise, the resolution to their struggle and pain. Now I look at this and I think, well, that makes sense, right? I can see going and negotiating with my captor and trying to resolve the problem. Like, can't we, you know, I state certified in the state of Nebraska is a mediator in college because there's a lot of things that need to be mediated in college between roommates, right? So I'm like, well, this, let's get everybody at the table and surely we can come to some resolution that's agreed upon, you know, maybe cut the work back, give us some more food at the other end of it, and we'll all be happy and still in slavery. Right? Instead, they do exactly what it is, but they're bringing more pain on themselves. 
They've heard all that Yahweh has said, how Pharaoh would resist. Like, that's the description. God tells Moses and Aaron, I'm going to bring you out, but Pharaoh's not going to let you go easy, so be prepared for that. They've heard that it would be by the mighty hand of God that they come out, but the moment that it gets tense, they just run back to their taskmaster. Oh, please, slave master, help us. Instead of the hand of God, the one who has made the promise. I'm struck that as I study this and as I spent some time in Exodus this summer, how often I walk this very dangerous road myself. Just like the people of Israel. I don't know if you do. I'm, I'm by far the worst sinner in this room. And just ask my wife. She'll tell you that is true, right? But I often will turn to the things that I'm promised freedom from for comfort. Over and over again. I just end up doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome in my life. And each time it seems that the burden is increased. The struggle only gets all that harder because I've gone to the wrong place for help. The sin that we're enslaved to, it's as if its familiarity feels like home to us. And so we just want to wrap ourselves in that sin blanket and get all cozy. Think through a couple of examples. The angry man is mastered by his anger, so when something makes him mad, he just can't control his temper and he just vents and lets it all go. He just lashes out. The lustful man being mastered by his lust when temptation comes, he helplessly gives in to his craving for pleasure. The selfish woman is mastered by her selfishness. She spends all of her time thinking of her own desires and then pitying herself when they go unmet, these desires that she has. She has no love left to give anyone else because she wants it all for herself. Or maybe the gossip that is mastered by her tongue. She cannot resist the urge to go tell everybody the latest news. We keep running back to the little lords that attempt to keep us captive as if they will make it all better. If they are the source of resolution. And the truth is that until we, as Christians, surrender fully to Jesus, our entire orientation is sinful and will keep us running back to the place that we have been declared free from. We'll keep embracing the hand that swings the whip in our lives. It's the reality that as sinners, we get so used to sinning that we scarcely recognize even our bondage, our change, the thickness of the bars around us. And Exodus, this old, old story in the beginning of the Bible, gives us a powerful picture of what it really means to be enslaved and what it really means to be set free through the struggle. The truth is that it's not found in retreat back to our captors because in this story there is another response that I don't know if you caught it when we read it. Because Moses does something that frankly at first I saw as troublesome but then I realized that that is exactly the model for us of how we're to live in the midst of struggle and difficulty. We see in verse 22 and 23 and it says, Then Moses turned to the Lord. And said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people and you've not delivered your people at all. Now, earlier this summer, I was in this big like, attempt to, re- I gave up on it, by the way, to reform my children 
right? From complainers to this calm and steady people, right? I, I went out to take the kids out, and there's this kid that's just screaming today. I was like, it's always the preacher's kid, and it was, right? And so to that end, to get them to be really well-behaved and not complain anything, it's usually like, Dad, the show's not in HD. It's like, I've done something. I, they should, no more shows for the next three years, right? It's like, all your devices are taken away. But I've been using, I've been using earlier in the summer this British term, mustn't grumble. And if you, I love British dramas and just the reality, British people are great and I've got some English heritage. So I went, mustn't grumble. It's like you have to keep it, everything calm, don't complain about everything, keep up appearances, right? So that's exactly then how I approach Moses in this story because the church lady inside me, the legalist, wants to say, take the licks, Moses, just keep a stiff upper lip, play it cool like everything's okay. Even you have to fake it till you make it, right? So act like everything is good, don't ruffle any feathers, just keep on leading through the pain. My, where my gut says it, well, Moses is just complaining to God despising his call. The Spirit does a little something on me. He says, well, look. Look to whom he turned in his petition. Because this is actually a bad situation. It hurts. The people are breaking under the burden. Right? You can imagine as a leader that everyone around, under you and around you is struggling. Like that, that is a weighty situation. And Moses is rightly troubled. He is experiencing this firsthand. And he could have joined the foreman of the people and ran right to Pharaoh and pleading for a return to the old way of things. It's like, Pharaoh, just forget everything I said. Let us just go back to the way things were before. But instead, he goes to the promise giver. And he laments there. He says, why God? Where is our deliverance? And this is actually then Moses' devotion to Yahweh, to the promise-making God, to the one that has called him, to the I Am. He's positioning himself to hear from God by turning to him in the midst of struggle. Moses says, God, it hurts. What are you up to? This is absolutely the appropriate response here because it is before God that he's making his petition known. He's crying out. He's saying, this is a struggle. This is awful. To the one that has decreed all of life, he brings his concern. And this is the biblical model for us. And we see it all over the Psalms. The psalmist will cry out in this exact same way, feeling the weight of life, of oppression, of struggle in their experience, and they turn to God with that pain. It's this declaration that the struggle is real, but we trust in the promise-giving and promise-making God. And I've come in my own walk of faith to cherish these laments, and especially now Moses is here as a leader, not only because he gives us permission to be honest in our prayer and petition before God, but because they're before God. Because he knows his source. He knows the safe place. He knows the uh, altar to go to. It's not merely poetry of pain, but it's communicating to the one who has given the promise, who holds us and hears our cries. And it's positioning Moses and positioning us to hear God's answer in the midst of it. So if we keep reading in Exodus 6, and this is the response of the Lord. But the Lord said to Moses, 
Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. A little later, he says, Say therefore, this is God speaking to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Mm. If you're going through struggle, friends, don't stop reading at the point of your struggle. Keep trusting in the one who is promised because it says if God here is saying, Moses, the story is not over yet. I am working and I will show you my glory, my power, and my promise and my ability to keep it. So he's saying, in your devotion, keep coming back to me in the midst of pain. Keep coming to me to be reminded. Know that life is in unfolding, that you shall see what I will do. You might trust in God's strong hand. And it's at this moment, it's at this realization of what Moses is doing and the model that he's given him, that we realize that this is for us too. In the midst of our very real struggle, in the pain and the repercussions of our own sin and the sin of others, in our brokenness, in damaged relationships, in external oppression, we turn to the one who holds it all and who has promised salvation. That we might see the fullness of this story in our own lives, as we see the fullness of this story in Exodus and we learn to trust God as we run to Him. Because then what happens for Moses in this reply from God, it's like an increasing determination to get to the promised land. To follow after everything that the Lord says and to lead the people. And it shows us this determination that we want as believers today. This is the good news of salvation means freedom from, for captives who essentially thought there could never be freedom for them. Have you ever been there? It's like I'm a slave to this thing, to this burden, to this ugliness of my own sin, and there is just no way that I'm going to be free of that. And that is who the freedom of God is for. What we need, friends, is someone like Moses to set us free from our bondage, to help us to see that strong hand of God at work. One writer says, the Bible teaches that Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus is the mighty deliverer who rescues us from our captivity to Satan, the strong savior who frees us from our bondage to death, and the great emancipator who liberates us from our slavery to sin. He does all this through his cross which was the death for our sin, and also through the empty tomb, which is the guarantee of our release. It is through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that we pass from slavery into freedom. Because it's the captives that Jesus came for, the hurting, the burdened, the struggling, and he doesn't just give us the promise and then tell us to accomplish it. He actually uses his mighty hand to deliver. The truth is, when it comes to struggle, he's told us to expect it. 
He says to his disciples and to us through them, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So it's the reality that in in our own lives, the sickness of sin must be put off at every opportunity. We don't run back to the slave master of old, that he, Jesus, is our only hope still in affliction. Because it's Jesus that takes on the pain, the burden, and our struggle. This is part of life and all the more part of the Christian life. Having been removed from the kingdom of a a tyrant who lashes out and attempts to damage what has been redeemed, but never, we are never beyond what is ultimately for God's glory and our good, just like the straw and mud of Exodus 5. So moving. Johnny Erickson taught it. You know, Johnny, 30, is it 30 years? Or, Or 50 years? Right? That she has been uh, paraplegic after a diving accident. She says sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. It's like I could plaster that over my life every day. Like that needs to be on my mirror to recognize the work of God even in the difficult t- things of the mud and straw of my own life. And there's a strong temptation for us when things get hard just to return to the bondage that we know oh so well. And the only way, though, to resist the temptation and then remain free in Christ is to hold on to the cross and trust in its power to save us. Because, friends, where we turn matters. We go back to the promise, to Jesus, to more than just a land to be our own, to an actual inheritance that we get to experience, to the forgiveness of sin, this gift of life we're given, the comfort and empowerment of the Spirit, to being who Jesus says we are, this chosen people, redeemed, free, healed, and headed somewhere. When it gets hard, we know we are not now disciplined slaves, but we are beloved children of God. Probably one of the best chapters of the Bible in Romans 8, Paul writes this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So this is us as believers willing to follow Jesus even in suffering, even in struggle, because He is better. We know that because of his promise, nothing can separate us from God and the love of Christ. No struggle, no pain, no burden, and it is to Jesus that over and over again we cry out, Oh, Lord, work! May we all the more hear his response. Now you shall see what I will do with my strong hand. Oh, that our trouble would turn to trust and that Christ would be glorified in our exodus, in our story, in the way we live through struggle, trusting in his promise. Great 19th century preacher, preacher Charles Spurgeon 
Says that he's speaking of Moses' faith and ours in this text. And he says, O servants of God, be calm and confident. Go on preaching the gospel. Go on teaching in the Sunday school. Go on giving away the tracts. Go on with steady perseverance. Be ye sure of this. You shall not labor in vain or spend your strength for naught. Do you still stutter? Are you still slow of speech? Nevertheless, go on. Have you been rebuked and rebuffed? Have you had little else than defeat? This is the way of success. Toil on and believe on. Be steadfast in your confidence. For with a high hand and an outstretched arm, the Lord will fetch out his own elect and he will fetch some of them out by you. Only trust in the Lord and hold on the even tenor of your way. Like Moses, be devoted to turn to the promise giver, the promise deliverer. Because the struggle is real and God is still good. His promise endures. His redemption is sure. It is accomplished for those that believe in Jesus. So what do we do on August 20th? in response to Exodus 5 and the reality of the struggle and God's goodness. First friends, be held. H-E-L-D. Know that it is okay to not be okay. But that doesn't have to be the end of your story. That you can in fact turn to Jesus. You can this morning believe in him that he came, lived a life of obedience for you, died an innocent death for the, de- the punishment you deserve. Then hear his response to you, see his work, his suffering for you. And then as you are held, hold on. Know that even in the midst of stubble and straw moments of life, you are safe in Christ. You are empowered by His Spirit. Don't give up. One of the letters to the church in Corinth, Paul writes, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So be held, hold on, and don't be alone. Engage in gospel-reminding community. Just as you studied this summer in your life together, that you would hear the promise, that you would share the burdens of one another, that you would comfort one another, and that you would look to Jesus together to know that He is good, even in the midst of your pain. And when we're not alone, we sometimes realize that maybe I experienced that straw and stubble and brick moment that others might be encouraged. That same letter to the Corinthian church, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You're not meant to work out your struggle by yourself. 
You are meant for a family of believers that carries you, cares for you, and reminds you of Christ. So the struggle is real and God is still good. The increasing tension of the bad to worse drama in Exodus can only be sweet when we have this full vision of uh, the biblical story, when we see how the story ends where God will bring his people out. God will lead them to the promised land and God will give his anointed one, the Messiah, to his people. Mighty hand moves. The people are freed and redemption is working even in the difficult things of life. So we have before us in the word and in our recount of it, our very own story of exodus, of redemption and how it all ends. That freedom will be experienced. That we will dwell with Christ forever. May the Lord give us this morning a vision for His glory and for our good in all of life. Struggle, success, pain, happiness. That we would turn to Jesus. Let's pray.